Welcome to the weekly podcast, recorded live at Glory City Church, Brisbane. We hope you are blessed by this week's sermon. Two topics that consistently were coming up, apart from our normal curriculum, was hell, the existence of hell, because that's something that's been fairly clouded at the moment in the church. Second was women in ministry. And so I just felt a green light on women in ministry, and, and I, I kind of guinea-pigged our students on Monday. Uh, it was slightly clunky, and you guys saw me bouncing around a bit with that, because uh, there's a lot of places you can go when it comes to the empowerment of women. Um, and then I felt to just bring it tonight to the church. And so, yeah, I, I pray if you've had issues with this or unanswered questions that you'll have an open heart and you'll take some notes and go home and look at um, some of what we look at tonight on your own. I'm going to recommend some resources for those of you that feel like you actually just want to grab hold of this and do some more research for yourself. There's some great books to recommend. We're going to unpack two key passages that essentially the, the idea that women cannot lead men come from. It's in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2. And we're going to just delve into what those passages are really teaching. And I want to make a case tonight that women are equally empowered by God to lead within God's church. And uh, I want to also, if we get time, bring some potential balance to some pitfalls we can fall into as we seek to bring, um, to correct something that's been askew in, in church history for some time. Because sometimes in our reaction to, to wrong thinking, we can swing like a pendulum into another wrong way of doing things and create more imbalance in the name of empowerment. And, and so I want to address even some potential pitfalls when it comes to this as well. Does that sound all right? Awesome. I've asked a couple of leaders to pray for me because I just felt, yeah, I feel the enemy's not a fan of this. Um, I'm going to explain why I believe it's an, it's an aspect of the curse for a man to dominate a woman and for a woman to dominate a man. It's the direct result of Adam and Eve's mistake in the garden was that they would seek to control one another, both within marriage and within structures of leadership. And as new creations in Christ, we don't have to live under that curse anymore. And so when, there's, when we do have, occasionally we have theology built that maintains that element of the curse, it gets me pretty riled up. So I'm going to try and contain myself and teach through this. Um, but if I'm passionate, it's not because I'm unopen to questions and people's feedback. I pray you know that about me by now. Awesome. I've served as a young leader under both men and women for some years. My first, my first um, leader was an AOG pastor, Paul Geeling. Some of you may know him, but back in the day it was Metro Church. It's now called IC Church. Paul and Joe Geeling were our senior leaders, and they were just incredible, kind, gracious people. I was born again in an altar call. Christine took me to church after I'd gone in there trying to fish her out. <laughs> it was flirt to convert. <laughs> well done, Christine. I'm the most blessed man on the planet now. And um, 
He was a phenomenal leader. He led with his wife, Jo. They were very distinct from each other because they had different personalities, but they honored and loved each other. Uh, then I went through a season of being in a strongly reformed church, and my, my pastor there was named Len McGee, and he was just an exceptional, kind man. He used to spend hours with me every week at a cafe, just me and him and our Bibles. And he would make two plus hours every week for me, and I would ask question after question. He would just teach me from the Word, and he was an amazing leader, and he, was, he, was, um, he had a theology of his own when it came to women, um, and we didn't, I don't think we ever really got into, but that was slightly different again, and then when I encountered righteousness and, and was delivered of an oppression that had come on my life through taking a drug that I shouldn't have taken when I was 25, from that point, my first uh, leaders were Leon and Sonia Bowles, and they are very good friends of mine. Caleb Bowles, you may know, uh, we've been friends 25 years now, and his parents lead a church over at Indrapilly, and, and um, again, dynamic couple, and, and Sonia has had such a strong, robust personality, and um, was a great speaker. So she, she was a strong leader, this woman. And, and, and Leon was equally strong, but in different ways. So I had, to, I had to work out how to be led by men and women. And then I worked with Youth for Christ, and my, the director of Youth for Christ is Cindy McGarvey. She's a fantastic leader. She's leading a, a national movement, Youth for Christ. Youth for Christ can attract some pretty wild young people. Uh, with, with grand vision and ideas, heaps of passion. And she, she does a phenomenal job just steering their passion without quenching it, creating safety around them. Um, so she is, she is a female leader in my life who I respect and honor. And here we have uh, Pastor Catherine and Pastor Tom. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I... I, I from what I get to see being on staff here and being, being close to them is that they equally lead this church. Uh, Tom was just sharing at the new, vis new visitors afternoon tea that he, he doesn't feel he's as much a public speaker as Pastor Catherine. And yeah, and if that's what he feels, then I agree, even though I think he's a fantastic speaker. Um, but the way he leads is very strong and very kind. You know, when we have um, significant things and challenges that come up in this church, it's usually Tom that just switches into like, we're going to get this done. We're going to walk through this. We're going to help this person. And a lot of the behind the scenes leadership and, and really challenging decisions that, that these guys have to make, Tom is, Tom is front and center of. Uh, Catherine leads equally with Tom side by side and... And she leads powerfully. And she, uh, she, in terms of spiritual mentorship, she is my mentor. She is my key leader in this community. And, and obviously we have Pastor Daniel on our senior leadership and, and Janice as well. And we all just have different dynamics that we're, we're working with in leadership. And I, I just want to say I feel really, really privileged to have Catherine as my leader. And that she's a woman. And especially that she knows she's a woman. And she leads as a woman. That's more profound than you might think. But I'm very, very grateful to have a leader who is a woman and knows she's a woman and doesn't feel she is disqualified in any way as a woman to lead. I feel very, very, very blessed by that. 
I've also felt very, very blessed when I've had um, key male leaders in my life. It, you know, God doesn't promote and platform and ordain people based on gender. He does it based on grace and calling and destiny. You find me one passage in your Bible where God makes gender-based decisions when it comes to leadership, and I'll change my mind. I can't find it. You know, Christ came to reverse the curse. He came to reverse the curse, and if part of the curse was that male and female would wrestle with one another, wrestle with one another, then I wanna see that completely undone, especially in the church. Especially in the church, because the world's attempt to change that curse isn't always very good. It's not always very balanced, the, the world's attempt to change that dynamic within gender. I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch going on. I'm going to say some things. You're going to have to trust my heart, I think, because I won't have time to qualify everything. But when it comes to the gender issues that our culture is facing right now, I think an, an aspect of that, it's a dynamic and, and challenging thing that we're working with. But a dynamic of that is that if you can remove the nature of gender, then you can remove male-dominant society. And so one attempt to, to even that is actually to try and remove gender itself. Think about that. That's not a good answer. To try and to try and remove the distinction between male and female and some of the absolute glory that God, in, that God puts in the male gender and the female gender so that when they co-rule and co-reign, we get a three-dimensional view of God on the earth. To remove gender and remove all distinction removes the, 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 the clarity of who God is working through both genders. There is distinctions in male and female. Sadly, we've, we haven't always got the distinctions very accurate. So at, at, at the, the, the stereotype or caricature of a man, for example, can be right way over here, hunting, fishing, killing things, barbecues, whatever it might be. You know, some of our distinctions can be, there's guys like that. There's also girls like that, right? So some of our distinctions can be a little funny and can trap people. Or over here, the females have to be a certain way. And um, yeah, our distinctions can sometimes not be amazing, but we have to try to retain them and think them through as a community. I, I've been thinking about some, what are some of the distinctions between male and female lately? And I was sharing with our class on Monday. You know, you could take one man and one woman, one woman and, and put them on the platform here. And it would be hard to generalize um, and assume certain things that the man should do and the woman should do. Because they're two individuals, and individuals are very, very dynamic, and God makes us very, very interestingly. But if you took 100 men and 100 women and put them up here, you could begin to identify some key things that a group of men might emanate in terms of just the gender of male and key things that, that women may demonstrate. Does that make sense? So when it comes to the individual, you have to be careful with distinctions. When it comes to groups, it's great to learn how to pull out things like that. I, I've, known, I've talked with Catherine many times about this because um, she, she loves to explore that. She leads with 
um, she leads with strong-willed men and strong-willed women, and she's always looking for, okay, how do women work? How do men work? I want to be a great leader to both of these genders. How can I do that well? I want to show you a couple of um, distinctions. I mean, who thinks men are stronger than women? Physically? But there's particular women I could put here and particular men I could put here. And that guy's finished. <laughs> right? But you could make a distinction in 100 men and 100 women in terms of just physical, biological strength. The men are likely to out, outdo the women. However, when, when I go to the dentist, <laughs> I am man. I survived the dentist by staring at that TV they put on the roof. And last time I was there, Lassie was playing. And just thinking cruel things towards Lassie in my head to survive the pain of having fillings put in my mouth. Do you know, Christine went to the dentist this week and fell asleep. And she wasn't getting a clean, she was getting fillings in her mouth that's a person's hand in her mouth, and she fell asleep. What the heck? She's, her pain threshold's supernatural. Mine isn't. You know, men, I mean, there's man flu, and then there's pregnancy for women. Oh, a lot of us men are pretty convinced it's about the same degree of pain. Yet to be proven. <laughs> oh, praise God. I've found, again, I will generalize, but keep in mind that when you take an individual, you can't generalize. But you can, I, I, I feel as though um, men can sometimes be more independently driven. In a hundred men, you might find more of an independent drive in terms of they don't necessarily need the boys to just run for what they feel they need to run for, whereas women can be more likely to be collaborative. And they would rather go at maybe a slightly slower uh, pace, which might appear less ambitious, but really it's just the overwhelming desire to be connected and to run together. Does that make sense? Again... Don't hear what I'm not saying. I wouldn't say that for every individual woman or every individual man, but I, I see some of these glorious attributes in both that can be strengths and weaknesses. If we can learn to function together, we'll be strengths. I think women are, um, perhaps have a stronger ability to be dedicated especially when people are walking through enormous pain. I've watched women express dedication to situations where when I've, I'm running out of steam, I'm running out of the strength or the, the, the compassion to, to, to keep locked into certain situations. As you know, when Jesus was dying on the cross, for example, who do you find sitting at the cross? John, the beloved, he was there. So again, you can't say men aren't. John was there. But it was women. It was women sitting there, enduring the absolute emotional turmoil of watching the one you love so dearly, who you found life in, the words of life, die in front of you. The dedication required 
for that moment, being at risk in your own life just for being associated with him. But that's, that's just so, it just, it just drifts away in this intense dedication to a person. I think that's a trait in women that I've seen in my own life and I see in the Bible that men can have too, but there's something about dedication that I see in women that absolutely blows my mind. It blows my mind. And if I can distinct, if I can identify that, I can look for it and I can feed off it in my heart. And so I can grow in dedication by, by being able to honor what people carry of the opposite sex. Does that make sense? Awesome. Trevor, do you have any other distinctions you'd like to, to bring? Oh, men have got short hair. <laughs> All those in favor of Trevor. <laughs> oh. Some are bald, that's true. The Bible says a man's gray hair is his glory, so they have to have hair somewhere to have glory. I'm still figuring out how I'm gonna get my glory when it's time, because things are getting short up here. Anyway, can you guys, are you thinking of some distinctions? This is provoking some thought? Don't be fooled, don't be fooled by um, an attempt in the culture we're surrounded by to to unify gender in terms of distinguishment, I don't think it's gonna turn out well. <laughs> I promise it won't turn out well. And we can't embrace that. God put glory in female and glory in male. He put himself. Eve isn't the leftovers of Adam that weren't required for him to be a man. And Eve wasn't taken from Adam's foot, nor his head. She was taken from his side. Before the curse, equal. You with me? This thing has impacted us. Whole cultures and religions have been built to maintain this lie. The suppression. I'm gonna machine gun a bit, is that okay? Okay, if you're gonna make up a religion and you live in a society where women are extremely oppressed, do you know that uh, in Jewish culture, in the time of Jesus, if a woman witnessed a crime, it was very rare that they could testify to it because a woman's testimony wasn't worth what a man's was. Like I'm talking in insane oppression of women in the Jewish culture in the time of Jesus. Insane. And so a woman's testimony carried very little weight. Now if you were, if Christianity wasn't a real thing and Christ wasn't risen from the dead, which is the ultimate door into the, the, the truth that Christianity is real, is that our Lord raised from the dead. And you wanted to create a religion in a time where women were downtrodden and their testimony didn't mean anything, you, why would you put women as the first witnesses of the resurrected Christ at the tomb? You know, there is, a, there is a strategy in Christ to reverse the curse that he was implementing even in his earthly ministry with the way he treated women. 
And it's no mistake that women were the ones at the tomb. Again, that dedication, there they were. Where were the guys? Hiding, fishing, doing their thing. The brave guys. So women, and then they went and shared the testimony and people struggled to believe it. The men struggled to receive their testimony. Now you can think that was unbelief. It could have had something to do with the way women were received in that culture as well. Remember, remember the Holy Spirit had not yet come, so these guys can't be expected to be living like Christ yet. You with me? So, you wouldn't do that, but women were the first to behold the resurrected Christ. Women were the ones at the cross with the Apostle John when Jesus was dying. Uh, I listened to an amazing video by N.T. Wright. Does anyone know him? He's, he's an amazing, amazing theologian, commentator on the Bible. Um, he speaks on, it's like a 10-minute video Q&A style about women in ministry. And he, he raised the story of Mary and Martha. And he just unpacks the story of Mary and Martha and how profound it is that, you know, I think we, because we're detached from the culture they were dealing with, we miss the big picture of what Jesus is doing here. And we think that Jesus is more making a case for not being busy and cooking a meal when we should be in his presence. Or does that make sense? Or intimacy over effort kind of thing. Because Mary chose the better way, Jesus says, while Martha was busy. Is he saying that Martha's wrong for wanting to serve him? Of course not. That's not the issue. There was a moment that he wanted to teach these women. He's in their home. But she was busy choosing something of less value. But she was also serving a cultural dynamic where women don't get to be taught. She was doing what was right in the eyes of the culture, but Mary was doing what's right in the eyes of the kingdom. In, in their day, if you were to be taught by a teacher, it was because you were following that teacher. It's rare that you just stop by for a lesson from a rabbi. It, it was a thing of, I'm training and discipling you to follow in my steps. So Mary has the audacity. I'd love to know the atmosphere of Christ for her to feel like she can sit at his feet in that kind of environment and be, and be taught and received from this teacher. And then Jesus affirms her and says, Mary's chosen the better way. For a woman to be taught full stop was a scandal. Yet here's Jesus, the Messiah, the one that came to reverse the curse, creating equal opportunity. Interesting, right? Awesome. When the woman was caught in adultery, the funny thing about adultery is that it involves two people. The woman's the only one that's brought. Again, I would propose that there was more going on than just them trying to catch Jesus out according to the law when it comes to adultery, or they would have brought both people. But it was a woman for a reason, because he was having a reputation built around the way, the extremely different way he navigated women compared to the culture. Does that make sense? Awesome. Women where, woman, where are those who would condemn you? There are none, Lord. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. 
he's making a case here. It's, it's more than the law. He wants to redeem something when it comes to women. Romans 16. This is just, I'm just machine gunning a bit, some, some examples in scripture. Phoebe. Phoebe is spoken of as a deacon, as a leader. Uh, it says, you know, uh, qu quite a few commentators believe that Phoebe was asked to carry the letter of Romans to Rome from where it was being written. And I believe it was Corinth that Paul was when he wrote Romans. That he gave the letter of Romans. Uh, I, I think, man, throughout history, the book of Romans is spoken of as the purest gospel. It's like the pinnacle of scripture. And it's, if you can understand Romans, you can unlock the entire Bible. It's this, it's this dynamic, intense uh, piece of literature that is absolutely uh, incomparable when it comes to literature. And, and Paul's written this intense letter that unpacks the entire gospel over 16 chapters for the Christians in Rome, and he gives it to a woman to carry it to Rome. Typically, if a person carried a letter, they also read it to the church. Typically, the person who carried it read it. So Phoebe's not just a nobody here. She's carrying a letter. Gosh, I think one of the most important historical documents in human history and being positioned to read it to a community of both male and female, Jew and Gentile. That's intense. Like culturally, that is really intense. Phoebe, if you look through Romans 16, you'll find multiple women throughout Romans 16 who are... Um, who are celebrated by the Apostle Paul. Another couple is Priscilla and Aquila. Who's heard of Priscilla and Aquila? Awesome, they were a married couple. They worked with Paul making tents, so they did trade with Paul. Uh, they also preached the gospel with Paul. It was um, Priscilla and Aquila who, who met with Apollos in the book of Acts, you'll see, and it says, and they taught him more accurately the way. And then Apollos becomes this, this in, awesome preacher. And it was a married couple together co-laboring, teaching a man. Interesting, right? Paul even uses a short word for Priscilla, and he calls her Prissa. That's actually like a short, it's called a familiar term. Even in theological literature, it's a familiar term. It's like uh, Meredy, me calling you Mary. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Do you? It's, it's familiar, it's, it, it carries like, I know you, we're, we're close, I've, I know your name, and, and because of our connection, I've shortened it. it, it that, that, the same concept back in the Bible times. Also the same concept was that a man's name was usually listed before a woman's name, but Paul's listing Priscilla before Aquila. This is so controversial in their days. You with me? He goes on to acknowledge Mary, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persis, a person named Narcissus, unfortunate, but they suggest that's a female name. That's not me, that's the Bible. Um, there are four women listed as prophetesses in the Bible. You know, the church is built upon the apostles and the prophets, the foundation, meaning the apostles and the prophets are leading and building God's house according to his ways, Christ's ways as, as the head. So if a woman can be identified as an apostle or a prophet in scripture, there's an immediate implication about women leading men, isn't there? 
Ephesians 2, the church is built upon the apostles and the prophets. Uh, Miriam, Aaron's sister, named a prophetess. Aaron's sister, Miriam. Uh, Deborah, who knows Deborah? She wasn't just a prophetess. Oh, not, I don't mean just. I mean, she wasn't only a prophetess. She also led the nation of Israel. Being a shadow of the new Israel, the, the church, the bride, that, 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 that she was empowered to lead a nation. That's intense. Holder, H-U-L-D-A-H, the prophetess. Then there's one in the New Testament named Anna. Who's read about Anna? Yeah. Anna is a dynamic, mysterious figure to me. It's in the intertestament kind of period. She was, she was, was she 80-ish or something? Yeah, I'm forgetting some of the details, but she would go to the temple daily and pray and prophesy. And she is evidently out older than Christ, so she's doing this um, before he's 12, and he comes into the temple at 12, and she's in her 80s, but she's been doing this for her life since she became a widow. And she is a prophetess, and she speaks out the word of God over Christ. That's intense. A prophetess, gosh, what if God calls people because he calls them? Junia in Romans 16, listed as an apostle. Junia, J-U-N-I-A. There has actually been an attempt to make an argument that this is a male name. It, it, it's a very flimsy argument, and it's, it's, it, it verges on twisting Scripture, if not actually twisting Scripture, to maintain a doctrine. I... I I'm not impressed. Her name is Junia. She is a female. She is outstanding among the apostles, Paul says. Outstanding among the apostles. Listed as a female apostle. Lydia and Chloe had churches in their homes. Lydia and Chloe, females, had churches in their homes. There was other females that did too. These are two that... that immediately came to mind for me. If you look at 2 John and 3 John, is this all right? Awesome. If you look at 2 John and 3 John, 2 John is written to a woman, or am I getting that backwards? Is 3 John written to the woman? Let me just double check. I don't want to get that wrong. Who's got it there? 3 John, yeah, 3 John's written to Gaius and 2 John's written to the elect lady the elect woman, you'll find the language used in both 2 John and 3 John absolutely equal. He speaks to them the same. He speaks of them both as having spiritual children. He speaks of them with the same affection. Again, the, the, the nature by which men and women related in the early church was so confronting to the culture. He speaks of them both of, of, of equal value, equal leadership. Does that make sense? This is the Apostle John writing a letter to a woman. He says, I have so much more to say, but I crave to be with you in person. To a woman. Just full on stuff. Like they've broken down these walls of hostility from the curse. These guys caught hold of this. Do you know, in 1976, the Catholic Church, is anyone familiar with the Catholic Church? It's a small movement. I, I quoted on Monday that they have over one billion people, whether nominal or, or um, 
functional Catholics and our beloved Frank. Is Frank here? He's not. He's, he corrected me, as the students like to do sometimes, and he said there's actually 1.2 billion Catholics now on the planet. That's a lot. I just think that's heaps. They seem to have this gift of staying together when they disagree and figuring it out. I can't figure that out. Far out, we're doing great over here. So, anyway, I spoke at a Catholic church on Friday. That's why I wasn't here. And I, it was incredible. I don't want to go down a rabbit trail, but yeah, some of what they're doing is stunning. Um, that was over at Springfield, yeah, Springfield Lakes. Um, the Catholic Church in 1976 held a, a pontifical biblical commission. 1976. And they, they gathered some of the best Catholic theologians on the planet, and they, they rounded up 17 of these people. These guys are responsible for the Catholic Church in nations when it comes to determining theology. 17, they read through their Bibles with one topic in mind. Can women be ordained into the priesthood? This is the Catholic Church. This is a big deal. This is the 70s. Um, 12 out of 17 agreed that cover to cover, the Bible in no way forbids women entering the priesthood, and they changed their approach. So when I was at this Catholic church on Friday, it was led by a man named Father Marrow, a very beautiful, humble man. But the, and one of his key leaders is this lovely lady named Vanessa. And she is a fireball, this woman. She really set up this night that I went and spoke at. So that's actually huge. If one of the largest movements when it comes to faith on the planet is now, is now correcting some imbalances, I, that excites me a lot. Okay, can I dive into a couple of passages? You guys all right if we could just get a little bit theological? Awesome. Genesis 3. I just want to just, um, just mention something about the fall and, and the way God speaks to Adam and Eve right after they eat from the tree. Genesis 3, verse 16. He says a few things to the serpent. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, surely your pain will be multiplied in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Listen to this. Your desire shall be for who? Your husband and he shall rule over you. Now, at first glance, this can look, you might read this a certain way. You might read it to say that a woman who's married has a healthy desire for closeness and intimacy and connection with her husband, but her husband's ruling over her. That's one way you can read this. It's, if you actually look at the Greek word for desire here, it's not that word. It is a word for a desire to dominate and control. So what God's saying to the woman is your desire will be to rule over your husband, but he will rule over you, neither of which are my design. That's a big deal. He says very little to the woman in terms of what 
is the, the consequences of their sin. And this is half of the consequence that he says to the woman. It's your desire will be to overrule your husband, but he will overrule you. Neither are his design. He took Eve from Adam's side. They were called to co-rule together. He says, I will, I will create someone of, compar of comparison to Adam. Not subjection, comparable nature. Eve, to be a help in subduing the earth and being fruitful and multiplying until it's covered with God's glory, which can't be done by one gender. You with me? Gosh, things will be one-dimensional. I'm so grateful that I get to lead with women. Sometimes men are just, can be annoying. Men, yeah. Gosh, sometimes women can be annoying too. Oh, I felt that, I felt the uh, bounce back there. Don't take that personally, I'm just having fun. I love our, our academy team, our church staff team is, is, is almost equal in male-female leaders, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful dynamic. Now, we don't do that on purpose. We don't say, okay, we've got seven guys, we'll need seven women. Let's locate seven women. Uh, we've got Ben on the media team, so we'll have to get an, a woman to co-labor with him to get this right. Um, you with me? That's an imbalance. That's in the name of empowerment, putting people in leadership that maybe shouldn't be there. It's about character, not gender. It's about the, the qualifications of a deacon or an elder are listed in the Bible and they're not anchored in gender. So if I was trying to be even and say, okay, I need equal women as I do men and I'm, I need someone for the academy team, I'm gonna choose whoever's got character, calling, grace, gifting, and that, and that ultimately the Lord directs me to. Male or female, irrelevant. Does that make sense? This is how we get wrong. If, 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 a, if someone, if I'm trying to get it all even and, and I, I wanna put a woman in a, a position, I'm not gonna find someone who's backbiting and gossiping and living in sin and put them in leadership just to prove that I don't believe a disempowering doctrine. Does that make sense? I think, I think people have gone wrong with this, and you just pay for it. Same with men. When, when, I mean, Galatians 3, 18, I believe, says, in Christ there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So it's not about gender that we make selections like this. Does that make sense? Now, is Christ saying gender doesn't exist anymore? No, did Jew and Greek exist? Half the New Testament is written to Jews or Greeks, so the distinction is still there, but he's saying equality has come. I came to make the high places low and the low places high. I came to make the path straight, which means that the, the, the curse, the, the separation, the hierarchy, the caste system between gender, between culture is gone in Christ. One new man in Christ, the wall of hostility being torn down by the power of the blood of Jesus Therefore, when it comes to leadership, equality, opportunity, empowerment, capability in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. It's not as he is, so are men in this world. Anyone who believes, unless they're women, will do what I do because I go to the Father. It's just not in there. 
Jesus broke down the barriers. The woman at the well, hello. Samaritan, firstly, and a woman. He's alone with her. His disciples marveled. The word marveled is used. They freaked out. What is he doing? What's he doing? He's going to ruin everything. He's going to ruin our ministry. We're just getting started. We're about to call fire down on this village over here. What is he thinking? We can't hang out with women. She certainly did have a reputation. Go and get your husband. I don't have a husband. Oh, <laughs> she thought she could get out of it. Oh, I'm not married. He says, you're right, you've spoken the truth. You've had five husbands. And the man you're now with is not your husband. Now, she didn't respond in condemnation. She didn't fall to the ground and sob and guilt didn't overcome her. She responded with like, you're a prophet. Our father said that we'd worship on this. She, there was no condemnation in his voice. He was demonstrating that he's Messiah. And in fact, she's the first person that Christ says, I'm the Messiah. He veiled the fact that he was Messiah. It's for those that have ears to hear and eyes to see. He veiled it. He demonstrated. But he wouldn't answer them plainly. They say, tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? The only one he said it plainly to was this woman. I'm he. The one you're speaking to is he. And she became the first evangelist and brought the whole village out. And he spent a couple of days there ministering to them. Isn't that epic? Okay, let's go to 1 Corinthians 14. It's going to look at two passages of Scripture. I'm going to try and do this quick. Can you see where, um, where the result of the curse has maybe got us stuck? There's, there is uh, two passages. I mean, there's, there's passages like Peter talks about the woman being the weaker vessel. I think, I think it's fairly common now not to understand that as a woman being of, of less equality or something silly like that rather, of, of very precious value. Do, do you guys familiar with that when Peter says that and the concept that um, the weaker vessel actually just means fragile, it means precious. It was used of, of fine china, it was used with things that required to be looked after. So I don't want to delve into that right now, but these two passages, oh. Oh, yeah, let's, can we go back? I forgot I sent that to you guys. This is awesome. Can we go back to... This one, this is good. Don't read this yet, but we're going to read this in a minute. Oh, too, but yeah, too late. Actually, let's turn that off so people listen still. But then we're going to go to that one in a sec. So quick note, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says this. Now for the matters you wrote about. This is the Apostle Paul writing a letter and he writes in 7 verse 1. Now for the matters you wrote about. So what we know is this letter is a response to a letter that they've sent to him. Do you know that scholars believe in the book of the First Corinthians and Second Corinthians, Paul quoted letters that they had written to him over 40 times. The problem is we don't get quotation marks that cross through as easily from the Greek into the English. Are you with me? So there's, there's, there is quite a few times where he actually quotes what they've already written to him and then responds to it. Over 40, scholars believe. So just take note. He says, now for the matters you wrote about. Now 7 verse 4, while we're in 7, he says, for the wife does not have authority over her body, but the husband does. Did everyone get that? 
sounds fairly common when it comes to the idea that men have authority over women until you get to the rest of the verse, which says, Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. There's the new covenant. There's the redemption from the curse. There's the mutual submission within marriage. I, I, I do hold that within marriage, a male is the head of a home and the head of his wife. I believe that only exists in the context of love. So the moment a man uses that for selfish agenda, he is in sin. But love doesn't seek its own. It says, husbands love your wives, wives honor your husband. Love doesn't seek its own. So only in a context where a husband is laying his life down should a woman reciprocate with submission to his leadership in their family. And that doesn't extend beyond the covenant of marriage into the church. Does that make sense? Do you know that in the Godhead there's authority? Is the Father an authority over the Son? It says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote it to you. It's in 1 Corinthians 11, I'll quote it to you in a minute. Uh, but catch this, authority does not equal inequality. This is where we can go dreadfully wrong in the feminist movement is that in order to prove that we're equal with the opposite gender, we need to have authority over them. That's the curse. Does that make sense? We can have equality and maintain the, the reality that God puts people in leadership, male and female. And it's, authority is created when it comes to leadership and it's servant-based authority. You will not lord it over them like the Gentiles do, but the greatest will be the servant of all. That's always the context we speak of authority in. The greater the leader you become, the more feet you get to wash. It's how it works in the, in the gospel. It's how it works in the new covenant. That means women get to wash feet too. Congratulations. Are you with me? And I, I hope that didn't get too deep. Authority and inequality. Is Christ equal to the Father? Yes. Does the Father have authority over the Son? Yes. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3 it says, But I want you to understand, Paul wants us to understand this, that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every wife is her husband. That doesn't mean, wives, that you have to have a relationship with Christ through your husband. He just had a design for, for marriage and evidently he kept something within the gender roles that when a man is truly laying his life down in love, he is fit to lead a home. It's his idea. Outside of the context of love, I'm very wary when men bring that up. I'm very wary when leaders tell women to go home and just submit a little harder and see what happens. Maybe you'll get a better marriage. It's not how it works. If you're in an abusive situation, it's time to create some distance until there can be health and then reconciliation. Just, are you with me? There's a, there's a context to this. The context is love. And then every man, oh wait, 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 sorry. The head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is who? God, meaning God the Father. So there's authority in the Godhead, but not in equality, which means we can have authority in communities, in marriage, in the genders, based on who God calls, male or female, and it doesn't mean inequality. 
It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Okay, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34. Women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. As the law also says, take note of that. Okay, let's keep this up. You can see now that I'm, I'm, I'm presenting this as though this is a quote from the letter that the Corinthians wrote Paul. Now, you won't see this in your text, but you can see it, especially by the response, which we'll look at in the next picture. But look, the women are to keep silent in the churches. Now, picture the Corinthian church writing this to Paul. Remember that Corinth and Ephesus and Crete were all cities that had pagan gods who happened to be female. These particular cities, and these are the three cities where, people, uh, where Paul wrote to people regarding women. I don't think that's a mistake. I think there was an imbalance because uh, the, the, the temple of Dianus, for example, was led by women priestesses, not men. And there was actually a, a female dominant culture within that pagan worship. So now these, these women are getting born again and actually have some habits of, of being domineering. And Paul's bringing balance and order, which we'll see. He's not bringing inequality, he's bringing order. Big difference. So he says, the women to keep silent in the churches. This is the Corinthians' idea of how they can solve it. They are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law says. You won't actually find the law saying that. That's how I believe, and that's how many commentators believe, that this was a quote from them, because the law doesn't actually command that. So which law are they getting this from, firstly? Does that make sense? If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. Now that's interesting, because remember, if they're permitted to learn, it's to do. So even if this was saying you should learn at home, you still get to learn, which means it's still countercultural, because women are still learning to do. They didn't learn to just puff themselves up back then. They learned to become something different. So that's actually huge. Even in this context, they can still learn. For it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Now, you'll look at the following verse, 36. Paul's response, was it from you that the word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? Now, if you put up the next picture, there's a reason people believe that that was a quote and that was his response. Listen to this, the closest equivalent, this is from um, uh, Lauren Cunningham's book. Who knows Lauren Cunningham? Founder of YWAM. He wrote a book called Why Not Women? Question mark. And so this list gives an idea that this particular Greek symbol, you can see it there, like the N with the smaller looking strokes above it there, is actually a symbol that means what? or nonsense, or may it never be. And there's a whole bunch of examples in scriptures like, no way, were you baptized into the name of Paul? Can you see the symbol there? That when that's put there, it typically is a what? Like, what are you thinking? No way, nonsense, may it never be. And this is the exact symbol that follows that quote. Nonsense. Was it to you that the word of God came? You with me? 1 Corinthians 6, 2, what? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? He's responding to them. Next, next slide. 
You can take a photo of this if you want. I'm not going to go through them all, but here's a whole range of biblical examples of when that symbol is used to respond to something he disagrees with. And so you can go through some of those passages. You'll see at the end there is 1 Corinthians 14, verse 36. Nonsense that women can't speak in the church. Did the word of God come to you first? Does that make sense? Awesome. So you can summarize that passage in one of two ways. You can say that, um, you can say that uh, some of you may have heard that women were um, being boisterous or too loud during church and um, because they were less educated than men because of the culture. That's fine if you want to believe that as long as you, as long as you can conclude that women are equally empowered in the church as men are, you, you have fun coming to a conclusion. I think that's liable, except that I think the men were just as immature, so it doesn't make all that much sense to me. Especially the Corinthian church. These guys were very young Christians, the males and females, so I don't know what the husbands were going to be teaching you know, super accurately at home. That's why that doesn't fully add up to me, but it's definitely a feasible option for what that means. You guys okay? Awesome. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39, as he summarizes this passage, he says, So, my brothers, and that's a very key Greek word because it, it does mean explicitly brothers and sisters. It's, it's both genders that he speaks to. You can see that it's probably in a footnote in your Bible about that word. So, my brothers and sisters, earnestly desire to prophesy. This is his summary, and it includes women prophesying. And I do not forbid to speak in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Can you see that what he's trying to do is, is, make, is bring order to the way they gather? Can you see that? Some of you are with me, some of you are. Awesome. Let's go to 1 Timothy 2 really quick. It's a similar concept, so I'm not going to spend too much time because I, I, I do want to um, honor everyone's time tonight. You guys Okay. One Timothy two verse eleven to fifteen talks about let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. With what we talked about in Genesis uh, three, you'll probably see a bit of the context here yourself. The, uh, the King James actually says, "I do not permit a woman to usurp authority." This isn't about women not having authority over men. It's about women dominating men. It's about women taking authority, right, where it hasn't been given in a, in a community atmosphere and subduing men with that authority. Again, Timothy was in Ephesus. That's the city where this, this um, temple to Dianus was that was led by women, and there was a very imbalanced approach to the genders there. Does that make sense? You guys are nodding? Praise God. And then it says, she'll be saved through the childbearing, has anyone ever wondered what that means? Me too. Let's move on. <laughs> that went well, hey? I love Q&A. Um, I think, again, this links back to the curse. I think Paul's referencing um, the curse, and, and he's saying, woman, don't usurp authority over men. Because that's what you've come out of with this, this idol worship Evenness in the church, order in the church. Let authority be where God put it, male or female, but, but don't mess with that. Does that make sense? And then he says, for, for um, Adam was formed first and then Eve. That's not saying Eve is of less value. That's not what that means. 
He's making a point, and, and she will be saved through the childbearing. Who did Mary give birth to? The childbearing. It doesn't say childbearing. This isn't plural, every woman. Once you give birth, welcome, you can be saved now. That's not what it says. Through the childbearing, Christ, the one who will stomp on Satan's head, the enmity between the offspring of the woman and the serpent. Women is saved through the childbearing, through Christ. Mary carried the Messiah. Does that make sense? That's why anyone can be saved. I believe Paul's linking that back to Genesis to make that point. Again, it says, let her learn with all submissiveness. So still, women here are permitted to learn, which means you learn to do and become. They're permitted to learn. That means they're permitted to be disciples. That's what that word means. And that means they're expected to live like Jesus, and Jesus was a leader. You with me? I think it's all there in the text. So it was more about not assuming authority. All right, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna move on from that. To summarize both those passages, I'd say women are able to lead. They are equal to men in capability and empowerment. They need to be called by God just like men do because God, leadership's God's idea. Great, he gives grace to whom he gives grace when it comes to leadership and, and he expects every one of us to change the world regardless of what we do in the church, male and female. Woman can lead equally to man but shouldn't usurp authority from man. And in the same way, man shouldn't do that from woman. Does that make sense? Awesome. Let me just tell you some resources. J. Lee Grady. So J. Lee Grady. G, uh, so Lee, L-double-E, Grady, G-R-A-D-Y, wrote a book called Ten Lies the Church Tells Women. It's a very good book. Catherine actually recommended that one to me. Chris Vallotton, Fashioned to Rain. Has anyone read that? That's it's excellent. That's um, more of a prophetic insight, and, and he's brilliant on that. Lauren Cunningham, Why Not Women? And I would also recommend N.T. Wright's, so Lauren Cunningham, Why Not Women? Question mark. And N.T. Wright's got some incredible theology around the empowerment of women. Is that cool? Awesome. Can I read you a quote? One of our students, Rakala, put this quote from a friend of hers on Facebook, and I just really liked it, so I messaged him. I don't know him. I said, hey, can I use this? I want to quote it. That's a really insightful thing that you said. This is what this man named Joel Andrew, bless you, Joel. He lives in Sydney. He um, seems like a lovely fellow. Rakala just shared this, and I loved it. It says, for whatever my opinion is worth, I say that if it's required... If it required a woman to grow, carry, birth, feed, clothe, nurture, correct, guide, and teach the actual Christ, if she could be entrusted with that, then I would venture to say that woman can occupy any space in the sacred because the sacred grew within her. It knows her. They are well acquainted. Women, you are not auxiliary. Your callings have merit. By design, your body can host something entirely world-changing. Wow. Isn't that awesome? It's a phenomenal, phenomenal quote. 
I'm so passionate about this. We're going to pray in a minute and just do, do a bit of ministry time. This is me saying this, not, not Pastor Catherine or Tom, but, but this is one of those things. You know, there's things that, um, what we call non-essential doctrines. These are the things that we can run side by side and we can do the gospel together and you can believe this and I can believe that. There's things that are non-essential when it comes to theology. Then there's things that are essential. Christ is the only way to the Father. These kind of things. God is good all the time. Some of these essential things that really make up the fabric of our community. It's my opinion, mine, I'm not speaking for our house, that this is an essential doctrine. In fact, well, it, it kind of makes sense that it is because people wouldn't do too great under Catherine's leadership if they don't agree. So, that's <laughs> awkward. But this is the kind of thing that, that I've, I've had to go separate ways on, on people with, with people. I, I will say this, and I'll, I trust you to be mature with it, because I don't believe this is in every case, but I, I'm convinced there is a spirit, a demonic one, behind the, any doctrine that will disempower women. So I've been very self-controlled so that I can communicate as effectively as I know how, but, but I have a, a storm inside me over this, because I believe there's demons that hate this. That, that are assigned to the oppression of women. And men too, but there's, there's a particular spirit on this doctrine. I have had conversations with men about this tried to, in an attempt to change their minds because for a season I led with them and now found out they are convinced women shouldn't be in ministry and I will not lead with them any further because I will never put a woman under their care to be disempowered. I have encouraged people to leave communities if they have daughters and they're in a community that will disempower women. And they can go and pray that through themselves, and that will, that'll be between them and God. But I just, I'm not mucking around with that. If Christ in, in, if Christ in a person has been limited because of this doctrine, it has to go. Be free. Come out from that. It's bondage. And I'll ultimately be, be responsible if I, in my given authority, put someone in a place to disempower people of any gender. I will carry some responsibility for that. So this is so, I'm so passionate about this. This is important to God. It's important to, to us. You guys okay? Yeah. Awesome. Can you stand? I just want to pray. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I just felt to do this. If you are a woman here tonight and you've experienced um, an unhealthy spirit of submission from a male, whether in marriage or out, it doesn't matter. It exists, or, or a male-dominant culture, and you've, you've actually suffered under a disempowerment. I, I want to create an opportunity just with, with eyes closed and hearts open to the Lord right now. I, I believe He's inviting um, forgiveness because you won't grow beyond the point of offense. So, yes, it was unjust. Yes, 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 yes. But God's kindness wants to restore every pain done. And he is desperate for you to grow beyond the point of offense, which requires letting go of the offense. And I would speak for what it's worth on behalf of men, and I say that I'm sorry. I'm deeply sorry where we have been misguided in good intentions or evil intentions, and we have let you down. I apologize and I repent. 
behalf of any time where you've been subdued according to the curse. And I ask you as a brother that you would let it go tonight and express forgiveness in your heart and come and learn how to co-rule and co-reign on the other side of that offense. And men tonight, if you have come under that spirit, that tonight you would repent. And men, you would also be let go tonight of unhealthy cultural boundaries that have been put on you when it comes to masculinity. Hmm. If you demonstrate a large degree of sensitivity, society might want to challenge your orientation. Christ just wants to show you how beautifully he made you and set you free from those those fallen, broken, carnal constructs that have been pressuring you. That you would be released from the, the comments of where are all the good men in the church? For men that have to sit and listen to that come out of women's mouths, I just set you free from that tonight. Because you're a man and you're a good one and you're in the church. And just by the Lord's grace tonight, I just believe he's creating an even path for us to move forward. He's tearing down any, any degree of hostility we've built towards each other uh, when it comes to genders. I, I did feel as well there are people in this room who have let people in this room down when it comes to this distinct message. And I just want to encourage you, it will take bravery, but it will be one of the best things you remember doing when you get to the other side of life, that you would go and repent and ask forgiveness where you've crossed lines or when you've subdued people inappropriately of the, the opposite gender or where you've devalued them in your heart because of their biology or whether you've overlooked them or been more inclined to seek wisdom from a particular gender than another, that tonight where the Lord would bring situations where you've done that, there is an empowerment to apologize. And I would just speak that there will be a, a actual a fresh liberty in our church, a fresh liberty in the recognition of the power of male and female and what they can do together as they paint a three-dimensional picture of Christ and God and increase the kingdom on the earth. Father, would you let it be? Would you let it be? Let it be, Lord. Let it be, Lord. Let it be, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the gospel to the nations, you can do so via our website www.glorycitychurch.com.au We would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer need, please send us an email at info at glorycitychurch.com.au We would also love to hear your testimonies. You can email these praise reports to info at glorycitychurch.com.au God bless.